Welcome to the Taproom Exclusive. I'm here with John Stanton of Merchant Devin. You are the United States Eastern Sales Manager. Yes, sir. Um, talk a little bit about, first of all, how you got involved with, with craft beer. What what was it that started your journey on uh, in craft beer? In 1991, um, I took over a tavern in downtown Cleveland called the Little Bar and Grill. Okay. And uh, the little bar was only open from like 11 in the morning till 2, 3 in the afternoon every day, Monday through Friday. And my brother Tom and I wanted to get into bar ownership. So I was still going to Kent State. I'd just come home from the Army. And I was going to Kent. And I took over the bar full time with some friends helping me out. And uh, inside the little bar, it has this real nice English pub feel okay. to it. Uh, I think they've changed motifs since. But, you know, nice red brick walls. We had a... You know, back in the phone booth era, we had a nice red phone booth in the corner of the place uh, that looked like an English, you know, phone booth. And so I put a stand-up cooler uh, in it, and I was trying to get some fun, cool beers to put in there. So there was a distributor called Dalmatian Bay. Okay. And I was here in Cleveland. Um, and I don't even know if Dalmatian is still in business actually anymore. They did a lot of wines, but they did some really cool beers. And they actually sold Merchant of Inn beers. The funny thing is I never even heard of Merchant of Inn now that I've worked for them for 15 <laughs> years. But uh, Sam Smith was involved in it. Uh, you know, a couple of Trappist breweries, Einger Brewery from Germany and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So Shell Bach was there. Um, and we had these really neat beers. Actually, we started selling Sierra Nevada. Okay. Uh, uh, there. Shell was the local beers. Uh, and so we, we did quite well selling these big, heavier beers. With a ton of flavor and everything like that, the the eye-opening thing for me at that time was because I was really just 21 when we took over. So by the time I was 22, 23, whatever it was, um, even though there was color, there was flavor, and there was it was very interesting beers with cool things. Not everybody enjoyed them, mm-hmm. but the alcohol levels weren't exceedingly high. And I always had this idea in my head: the darker the beer, the higher the alcohol. Right. You know. Never understand that Guinness is probably one of the lowest alcohol beers out yeah. there. Now, you, you know, with age and everything you learn. Um, but we had these customers come in, and we had a great trade there at the little bar of waiters, waitresses, bartenders, hotel employees and stuff. And then they would send their guests over and different things. And they loved drinking these craft beers. And this is well before the, the craft beer explosion. Yeah. Um, and so that's was my entry uh, into into the world. That's cool. Yeah. Like, Especially at such a young age, too, to to already just go right into it like that. That's no doubt about it. You know, so the fun thing about the bar was that we had all the Cleveland Indians players back then hanging out there. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, sure, they liked their vodkas and yeah, bourbons and everything else that they were drinking. But they liked some of the better beers that we had, like Shell Bach and nice. Sam Smith Oatmeal Stout and different things like that. You know, so um, seeing what they were drinking, I was trying to. Now, most people were Bud Light, Miller Light drinkers back yeah. then. But nevertheless, yeah, we started selling a lot of craft beer. That's all. And, it, you know, it opens the world up to you being able to try all these things. How is it that you end up at Great Lakes? Well, what happened at the Little Bar then is that we started to bring in Crooked River Brewing Company. Beer. Okay. And Crooked River uh, was a local brewery that uh, was uh, right across the way from the Flatiron. Okay. And I think uh, it's a strip joint now or something like that, you know. And so we started carrying their beer, their Cool, cool Mew Porter or uh, their Black Force Lager, a couple other different things. Well, the lease on the little bar came up. And so we, the owners of the building, didn't 
uh, offer us another opportunity for lease. And the fellows who own Johnny's Restaurant, Johnny's Downtown and Johnny's on Fulton, they bought the bar from us because they basically could get a lease on the property. So out I went. I was 20-some years old, uh, jobless, with all this vast knowledge of cool beers and, and how to run a bar. So I thought about owning a t- opening up a tavern. And the guys at Crooked River actually offered me a job to drive a truck for them uh, and to be a sales guy, kind of okay. a combo effort, like drive the truck in the morning and just go to accounts, people I knew, just whatever I could do to sell some more beer. Yeah. But, so I kind of got the bug working at Crooked River. And that was about 1995, 94, 95, somewhere in 94, 95. Yeah, so probably around 1994. So I started working for them. And I was there for about two, two and a half years at Crooked River. I was having dinner with my wife now, girlfriend at the time at Great Lakes. Got to meet Pat and Dan Conway over a couple of times, having beers with them in the pub. I enjoyed that pub a lot. Mm-hmm. Even though I wasn't selling their beers, I loved their beer. And I loved the atmosphere of the place. And I really liked the people that were working there. And so... Because I was actually, couldn't get out of the bartending thing totally. I was driving a truck in the morning, uh, selling beer in the afternoon, and I was bartending at the Fulton Avenue Cafe on 28th Street. Oh, wow. So all the employees from Great Lakes would hang out. They'd come over after work and stuff, and a lot of them lived in Ohio City, so I got to meet all these folks. And they said they were hiring a salesperson. So, um, you know, things at Crooked River, I didn't know what was going to happen. I loved everybody there, uh, but now my wife was pregnant. We we're going to have our first child. And I was thinking, oh, geez, what are we going to do here? So I went up to Gray Lakes and I asked him, I said, I heard you're hiring a salesperson and, you know, went through a grueling uh, interview process. Uh, actually, after, after days and hours and hours of interview, and asked him when the obstacle course was going to be introduced. <laughs> and, you know, and they had got a good laugh of it and they hired me. And then for the next 10 years, I worked at, uh, at Gray Lakes Brewing Company. And I loved every day of it, really did. What, so I, I've I've had the fortunate pleasure of talking to some people there and, and having them on my show and talking about what it's like to to work there now. What was it like back then? Like at the in, in that you guys got to experience the boom of craft beer from somebody who really started the craft beer boom here in Cleveland. What was what was the energy and everything like back then? Well, the brewery back then was in the Friesen Chili Building, which is now the Condos. Okay. And I think we are somewhere, I'm guessing, if I'm wrong, I apologize, somewhere around 8,000 to 9,000 barrels of beer. Wow. When we left here to go across the street. So we'd probably gone from 5,000 barrels to, say, it's easy math, 5,000 to 10,000 yeah. barrels in the Freezing Chili Brewery. The neat things about what was going on then was that you'd have these vast swings of interest You'd have these people that would literally like lose their minds because we didn't get them all six cases of October or uh, Dortmunder. And then you'd have these other people, you'd walk in and try to sell them a draft handle, and they'd look at you like you had three eyes in your head <laughs> because it didn't say Bud Miller or Coors on the right. label. So you'd have these incredible differences of opinion. You know, this is back in the time when you go to a beer festival, and there'd be more than a dozen people walking around with clipboards. Wow. Writing the names and their own private tasting notes for the beers. and. And writing down the labels and all this other kind of stuff at beer festivals. So they could go to the stores and they really, that's when tastings actually made sense. And you could actually shake a hand with a customer who you could turn on to be a customer for years back then. Yeah. Um, And then we, I introduced Great Lakes Beers to Jacobs Field. Okay. It was Jacobs Field at the time. Still is. Uh, Yes. In my (laughs) eyes, I still call Kenny King's chicken. So yes, it's it's Kenny (laughs) King's. It's, uh, It's Jacobs Field. So, uh, forgive me, I can't remember the gentleman's name from uh, Sports Services, and it'll come to me in a minute. And I, I, you know, we're the local beer. 
you know, you have all this domestic. How about it's just one kiosk, one yeah. rolling cart for Great Lakes beers? And he says, there's just no money. And I suggested to him that he charges the same amount for Budweiser as he would for our beer, but put in a 16-ounce cup. Okay. I said, so the price per ounce is kind of yeah. work out, and you can make a little more money selling our beer. And yeah. I said, just give me a homestand. I mean, just kind of bug the guy enough right. to, to shut me up. Yeah, I got Cleveland's on the label, man. Exactly. He put it in. He called me later. He goes, I can't believe how much beer we sold. That's awesome. And so that's what started us at Jacob's Field. So that's the exciting stuff. And, and then, you know, we started hiring some distributors down in Columbus and in Pittsburgh with Fewer Wholesale and Imperial Beverage in Michigan. And, you know, just the, and then the explosion of Christmas Ale was right. just crazy. I'll never forget. We lived, my wife and I, and uh, uh, three of my kids. My fourth was born in Euclid, where I live now. I was uh, coming downstairs. And she's on the telephone, on our home phone. You know, this is beef, this is days of beepers. Yeah. Okay. The wall, and, the phone is attached to the wall. We got a correct? cord. Yeah, we're yeah. landline. And, and uh, giving people an idea of, of, of the picture. And so uh, she's like, I'm sure if he had the beer, he'd sell it to you. Yeah. And I'm like, what? I go, Who is that? She's like, it's, it's an account, got our number somehow. So this account was so angry they couldn't get enough Christmas sale. He left a message for me but he was one of probably 300 people leaving messages wow. for me to get more christmas sale got my home number that's insane and called my house and i got on the phone i'm like wow. what are you doing i was like if i had the beer i am not yeah. hiding it i'd yeah. love i'd love I, to i'm not gonna turn down money <laughs> like, so it's those things uh there's a guy named jürgen hoffer who sadly passed away about about a year ago now jürgen worked for null beverage which was our distributor okay. with a fellow named freddie colombo and mike Null and bob Null and all these great characters at null beverage we walked in a grocery store at the time's a Topps grocery store, and the guy's like, "Can I get fifty cases of Christmas ale?" And I said, "We can get you 10. <laughs> you know? Yeah. We got out to the car, and Fred, who was the boss at Doll Beverage, calls Jurgen. I mean, thirty seconds after he left the store, he said, "Hey, this manager at this Topps in, in uh, where was the Topps? It was in Parma Heights. I'm trying to think of." The address ever, but nevertheless, yeah. he said, "Hey, you're going to John just promised me fifty cases, so you guys got to ship." More like, no, <laughs> we just did, told you ten cases. Yeah. And that's like, so this was the fun times back then. This right. is, we had a lot of laughs, uh, sold a lot of beer, uh, a lot of education, a lot of beer dinners, a lot of different, you know, bringing our beers in front of people from Great Lakes to explain the history, the styles, uh, where those styles came from. Uh, why they're good, why they're bad, why they have to be kept refrigerated 100% mm. of the time. Because, you know, we didn't do anything to protect our beer but refrigeration back then. Yeah. Uh, so we were driven mostly by draft beer. And uh, and so those that was the exciting times. And then we went across the street to the big brewery. Yeah, man, it, it just, it, you know, the, the growth of Great Lakes has just been incredible to watch over the years. It's, oh, no doubt about and it. And to, to actually sit there and, and to be a part of it and to, to witness it from the inside, it, it had to be something special. Well, you know, some of my best friends in the beer industry are were people I met at Great Lakes. Like Luke Purcell is the head brewer here at uh, Collision Bend Brewery. Uh, one of my, probably my best friend in the whole world, Rob Garrity. Uh, he is, uh, left Great Lakes. He, was, he worked in the brewery as one of the brewers. Then became a, came to the dark side, as we like to say, as a sales <laughs> rep. And then he went to Guinness from Guinness, uh, ended up at Sierra Nevada. He was there for oh, many wow. years. And now he sells information for for beer sales from Armadillo Insights. Oh, nice. And then Chad Hubbard, who is the off-premise national chain manager for Sierra Nevada, we work together at Great Lakes. Oh, wow. So just amazing amount of people, high-end beer names worked at Great Lakes. We all worked together. An incredible, formidable team. What, what, what a better place to learn, too, you know, from, 
from those people. I mean, you get a great education in, in the beer world. It was so new, in a way, you couldn't make mistakes. Yeah. Because every time you did a lot of things was the first time it was ever done. Right, absolutely. So, you know, sometimes it's better to be you know, ignorant and lucky than to be good. You know? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Hey, it worked out well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you decide you've been at Great Lakes for 10 years. You decide you want to maybe move on. What uh, do you do you go straight to Merchant of Inn from there? Yes. No, what happened was I actually hosted a beer dinner with who became my boss uh, from, from Merchant of Inn, a fellow named Joe Lipa. Okay. He came into Cleveland, and um, uh, the owner, the Winking Lizard, one of the owners of Winking Lizard, John Lane, hosted a beer dinner for us. And we did this. You know, I hated the name of it. We had uh, New World, Old World. Okay. Okay. Which became new beer, old beer, but I like new world, old world. Yeah, you know, you hear old beer. Yeah, exactly beer the connotation, connotation exactly yeah. of old beer. So, um, the idea was that we were going to have Great Lakes beers, and we matched up a series of Merchant of Inn beers with the Great Lakes beers. They okay. have a, they had a larger portfolio. Gotcha. Uh, which because they had ten breweries, and we could pick out different beers. Yeah. So we picked out beers from northern Germany and Einger Brewery in southern Germany. Nice. Orval, you know, to match Burning River and all this kind of thing, and we had a great time. We that just had a hoop. Cool. And so the next day, Joe, Joe was like, so, you know, what's, where to go? What's the deal around here? And I didn't realize he was actually interviewing for a position here in Cleveland. And I said, so, hey, would you like to come down to the brewery to see it? Let me buy you lunch. So he came in with the president of Merchant Event. Oh, wow. And so we had lunch at the brewery. I walked him around the brewery. And then I said, you want to see some of your accounts around the neighborhood? So we walked around, and I just drove him around and showed him a few accounts. Yeah. Where they're selling beer, where our beers were, that I knew they had their beers. And uh, we had a great conversation, great laughs and everything. And when I got done at the end of the day, you know, they made a job offer to me. Wow. And uh, it was a really nice offer that I didn't want to say no to. Yeah. And uh, going to Europe once a year was a big enticement. My parent family is from Ireland. My mom, my dad, my sister immigrated here from Ireland. And uh, so get to see them once a year was was really a good idea. I liked the beers, liked the stories. Uh, I was sad about leaving Grey Lakes. But I thought this might be a better opportunity for me and my family long run, and it's paid off. Yeah. So, you know, we've, I've never burned a bridge at Great Lakes. I enjoy everybody still, and we have this great, because uh, of Facebook, we have this group of people who, who work at Great Lakes and have worked at Great Lakes, so nice. we can stay in touch and everything, um, which is fun. So I still like going over to the pub and having beers. And, Absolutely. And I actually stole one of their guys uh, who left Great Lakes. I shouldn't say stole the Merchant of Inn. He left to go to work at Anheuser-Busch. I stole from Anheuser-Busch a fellow named Dave Andes. Oh, nice. Then came to work for me at Merchant of Inn. He backfilled my position when I became the head oh, of, really? the, the part of the United, uh, half the United States when I took over that job. <sighs> that's got to be it. That's got to be it. Well, 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 we'll get there. So how, so how do you go from, from getting hired day one there uh, from that interview to now running the you know, eastern half of the United States uh, for sales? Yeah, it's a great question because uh, it's been many years. And I came in thinking I was going to have the same success I had at Great Lakes, not understanding the phenomena that Great Lakes was doesn't happen everywhere. Gotcha. You know, I'm thinking, yeah. well, shit, I'm the reason <laughs> Great Lakes was so big. Yeah, what a moron I was. You know, <laughs> they didn't need me. Yeah, they're struggling since I left. Uh, Great Lakes is one in a million. Yeah. Okay. And, but I found out quickly not everything we did at Great Lakes would work uh, at, for these European imported beers and stuff like that. So it took me, you know, a couple of years. Sales were going up nicely from just hard work and activity and shaking hands and relationships. 
but I had to learn to sell the imports a lot differently than I sell the craft beers. And, you know, it's more of a wider net and uh, trying to get going from one inch deep, trying to get to six inches deep in a wider net and working hard uh, with our distributors and trying to work with them. And so an education is a huge thing for my brands at Merchant Event now. I'm trying to understand what a real Trappist is versus an Abbey. Mm-hmm. Trying to understand what an authentic German this versus that. Uh, trying to understand Lambic beers and why Lambic beers are so rare and weird. And it was one of the reasons I left to go to Merchant Event because these guys are the ones who invented the styles that we sell here in the United States. Right. They literally are the, the breweries and the families that made this all happen. So... I was covering Ohio and Michigan, Indiana, Pennsylvania, parts of New York. I've covered parts of West Virginia. I've covered, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And so between grocery store chains and and working with all these different people, over time, uh, we grew the business. And in the the market I'm in now, we actually doubled the size of the business, which was really nice. Uh, So our company, the parent, you know, the the managers and, and, and the president of the company wanted to uh, kind of split things up in a way so we could actually work the markets and we can do some things. So interviewed a few of us at the company and uh, gave me the opportunity to cover half the United States, everything east of the Mississippi. Wow. So we did that for a couple of years. And then he said, you know what? I think this is too much for everybody. Why don't we split it in thirds? Okay. So now I'm on the eastern third, which I cover, you know, all the east coast, basically. Yeah. And then we have this, my, my coworker, Jim, good buddy of mine, covers the center of the country. And out, we have another guy named John that covers the West Coast. Nice. And so that's kind of how it works out now. So I think I have, I don't know. Jeez. I got eight folks that work and you know, what is it, 20 states or something like that wow. that we're covering right now. So it's busy. Yeah, absolutely. And so you guys specifically feature these European imports, like some of the brands that you guys feature uh in in your portfolio well we'll start with uh germany and we start with the Einger brewery in southern germany which is one of the highest most awarded breweries on the planet one of my favorite Oktoberfests. i think the best yeah um and you know i have my thoughts on why that is but i don't want to taint the jury pool i just want people <laughs> to enjoy it we'll then, talk off air about exactly it. then in northern germany we have the first certified organic brewery in the world the pinkest brewery okay uh, which was originally the Mueller Brewery, and then it's the Pinkus Mueller Brewery, and they just dropped the Mueller in with the Pinkus. Great family. Friedel's the head brewer now. His wife, Barb, is one of the Mueller's. Just dynamite people. In Belgium, we have three Trappist monasteries, Orval, Rochefort, and Westmall. All unique, great stories, each of them. We have the Lindemans Brewery. The Lindemans Brewery is, is the largest Lambic producer of beers in the world. I, I think it's over 90% of the Lambic beer produced in the world. Wow. Comes out of the Lindemans Brewery because they actually, they brew for many other Lambic blenders. Okay. The liquid actually will come out of Lindemans, like for Hansons and different people like that. They get their Interesting. liquid. And so you'll never hear those breweries make fun of Lindemans saying it's fruit <laughs> juice and stuff like that. Right. Because most of the beer that they sell in Belgium is actually very acidic, you know, Gers Lambic. Yeah. Um, so then we also have the DeProof Brewery. Okay. The DeProof Brewery makes a gluten-free beer called Greens. And the Greens Brewery is pretty amazing. Well, the DeProof Brewery is pretty amazing. The Greens beers are, are amazing because none of the ingredients in them are inherently have gluten in them. They're not deglutinized or stripped or anything like that. They are just ancient grains, as they call them. Wow. You know, they weren't there. So, And the DeProof Brewery is just an amazing place, just the same. Uh, Dirk Dot's the head brewer there, double PhD. 
He brews over wow. 300 different labels. Almost all the McKellar brands come out of that brewery. Wow. Um, and he's the kind of guy that can just cut through all the, the fat and say, okay, this is what you're trying to achieve with your flavor. Why don't we do it like this or do this or do this? And it, it, he'll help you create a beer, and then you package it, and you buy it from him. So none of the beers that he makes actually have the DeProof name on them. They're all the peoples that make them. So then we have three Trappist monasteries we represent in Belgium, one in the Netherlands. That's a new one to us, but the three Trappist monasteries in Belgium. So the first time I got to go see them, it was just literally magic. Oh, I, I can only imagine. So the Orval Monastery was formed in 1070 originally. And Countess Matilda went to go pray for her husband who had passed away. And as the story goes, um, she went to the most holy place that they knew of because there was a natural, there was a, a naturally spring lake okay. there. And all the folks knew of this, that the water that came out of that pond didn't make them sick. Gotcha. So they can drink it. And so they assumed God had put the lake there, the pond there for them. It's a pretty good-sized pond, but it's just a pond. Uh, for them. And I guess you could say Jesus or God did put the pond there because yeah. he, did, he built all this. <laughs> so uh, she was praying for her husband who passed away. And as the story goes, uh, her tears had loosened the wedding band on her finger and the ring fell in the pond. For all I know, she was happy he was gone and he, she threw the ring. Right, out of him. But right. nevertheless, this is how the story goes. And it, it sounds factual you know, enough. So her ring falls in the pond and she is hysterical because she can't get it back. And lo and behold, here comes this fish with the ring in its mouth trying to come back to the surface with the ring in its mouth. And I'm assuming the fish was trying to eat the ring. Right. Or maybe he was trying or she was trying to deliver it back to the surface for <laughs> it. But Matilda got her ring back. And she said, this is truly the Oravalis, the Golden Valley. And with that, she got done. And in 1070, they started building a church and a dormitory on the side of it. And that's what started Orval in 1070. Oh, wow. And so uh, it's a couple of reincarnations. Uh, the last reincarnation, it got destroyed during the French Revolution. Okay. And then uh, the DeHaron family was given all the property. They're the major landowner in the, in the area. They were given all the property. And uh, so the, the church came back to them in 1920, uh, 1926. And in 1928, they rebuilt the monastery, and the DeHaron family gave the property back, provided a monastery was going to be built again. Okay. And so that's Orval. It's pretty amazing. And then we have the Rochefort Monastery, which built in the 1200s. That was destroyed by the French Revolution as well, and it was rebuilt. The amazing thing about the Rochefort Monastery is, uh, in my opinion, is Father Pierre. Father Pierre, uh, in 1968, graduated from high school. Like days after he graduated from high school, he went to the monastery trying to join. Wow. And so they let him sit outside for like a day, and they finally came back and said, hey, what are you doing, kid? Yeah. And he said, I want to be a, a monk. So they brought him in, cleaned him up, you know, got him some food, cup of coffee or whatever, and said, hey, listen, if you're serious about this, take a couple days. Why don't you come back next week, week after, or whatever. We'll let you spend the night, get a feel for it. Yeah. So we did. And they said, Okay. He's like, no, I really want to join. They said, all right, you come back in two weeks. We'll let you stay for a week. He stayed for a week. They told him, now, listen, you're awfully young. Go experience the world. Do not come back for six months. If you're here in six months, we'll let you stay. And he came back six months later. Wow. And he's been there basically since 1968. So Father Pierre is in charge of the, uh, of the brewery. Okay. Uh, he's got uh, his head of quality control. He used to be the head brewmaster named Goomer Santos. And now his head brewer is Beno. Some of the nicest people 
you'll ever meet in your life. And when you get there, you'll understand how the monasteries, the Trappist monasteries work for charity. Right. You know, Orval's the same way. Father Xavier, just as sharp and nice as can be. Father Pierre at Rochefort, a 10. I mean, just a 10. Uh, and then the Westmall Monastery. Now, the Westmall Monastery is the first monastery that was built after the French Revolution. Okay. So in 1794, you know, a, a band of monks was planning on coming to the United States or southern Canada, if you will. And uh, so the archbishop said, hey, hold on. You know, why don't we see if we could do something here before you leave and before you take off? And so they were granted a big chunk of property in 1794, which was nicknamed Neugerust, like no rest. It was just this whole, not quality land, you know? Yeah. So these poor devils worked themselves to death, you know, trying to turn us into a nice farm. And they did in the end. Um, and so, you know, instead of being a winery or whatever, that part of the world, they make beer. And so the monks were, they're allowed to have a beer a day. And so they started brewing their own beer. And so they could have a beer a day. It was safe. It was cheaper that way, you know, because they had the yeah. farm and they had the ingredients. And the Westmall Monastery um, is now, sells more Trappist beer in Belgium than any other Trappist monastery. Really? Yeah. And the Westmall Triple and Double. You can sign, find the Double on draft all over. Uh, the triples everywhere, and like all the other Trappist monasteries, whatever it's Gethsemane down in Kentucky or the wineries out in California, whatever the case may be, um, basically all the profits, in a sense, go to charity. And so that's what happens with Westmall. Now we got the brands of Merchant of Inn probably 12 years ago. I mean, it could be wrong; it could be 13 years ago, something like that. And we've been working very hard to give them an identity and, and a future here. And they sell so much beer in Belgium and in surrounding countries in Europe, that we are originally were only here to kind of protect the beer so it wasn't getting shipped over here illegally, in all honesty. Gotcha. Uh, but now we're actually a part of their business, and, you know, they we send people over there, you know, annually. And I've worked really hard for them, and they actually were kind enough to reach out to me, and they nominated me for knighthood. Oh, at wow. The small monastery. And so uh, Manu... Uh, their their export manager slash marketing manager, you know, he um, he reached out to me and asked me if I would be, you know, if, if I'd be interested. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, basically to let me know yeah. that my name was up, you know, for uh, knighthood or knighthood for, uh, I guess, knighthood sounds better than sainthood. So for <laughs> knighthood. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And I didn't hear anything else about it in a long time. And then uh, the president of Merchant of Inn, Sending his weekly email, just this is his style perfectly. <laughs> Doesn't say anything. Blah blah. Regular right. weekly email and first paragraph. By the way, John Stanton will be knighted in Belgium on this day. Wow. And I was like, I read it like everybody else in the company, which is so perfectly <laughs> Merchant of Inn. It's so perfectly a Trappist thing. Like, uh, yeah. to get over yourself, buddy. Right, you know, right, you're right. not that cool. And uh, and I was like, wow. And I handed the computer over to my wife. I said, check that out. And she's like, is that a joke or is that real? I said, that's real. And uh, so. I was like, wow, we better start making plans. So my wife and kids wanted to come over for it. Uh, then they made a change at, in Belgium in the weekend of the beer. Instead of doing it in the city hall, where they've done it for God knows how many years, this huge building that anybody's allowed in, they said no for the first time in, I think they said 50 years, we're going to do the nighting back in the brewer's hall that was built originally in 1697. Wow. Yeah, and I was like, oh, that's cool. The only knock on it, I only got one ticket. Yeah. So 
had said I had to say to Nikki and, and the kids, I'm like, I'm sorry, I only get one ticket. There's no sense paying all this crazy money, right, to fly everybody over there if you can't go in to see it, right? Absolutely. Which, which was disappointing, but it was magical. The entire ceremony, the entire weekend, everything about it was was way above billing. It was cooler, nicer. Uh, more m- memorable than I'll ever forget than I ever thought it would be going yeah. over. Uh, we got to the weekend of the beer, and the weekend of the beer starts with a parade that leaves the Brewers Hall, and leaves these guys in these old outfits carrying uh, kegs of beer, and the church and the bishop and everything leads the way from the Brewers Hall over to this huge cathedral wow. in Brussels. Then you got to understand it's all based on the fact that people could not drink beer or drink water, and they okay. were getting sick. So a fellow named St. Arnold, who's the patron saint of beer, was just a normal parish priest, and he kind of just said, hey, these idiots are getting drunk all the time, and they're alive yeah. and in kicking. And these nice people who aren't touching a drop of alcohol all right, are sick as a dog, and they're dropping dead. So he said, that's it. No more, no more water. Everybody's drinking beer. And that's what started this whole thing of wow. people just drinking beer. And not understanding, they actually thought it was the ingredients. They didn't understand it was the boiling of the, right. of the process that killed all the bacteria. Yeah. So there you have this history and everything going on. And we're in this church and they're saying a prayer over a keg. And, you know, it's something we would never do here in America, but it yeah. just seems so right. The parade goes back uh, to the church. And as soon as the parade goes back, this big, huge beer festival opens up in the Grand Place in the center wow. of Brussels. There's thousands of people there. and They do it really well. You go to these machines, you put money in, you get these little coins. And you give a coin, you know, to the bar. They give you a full beer. Wow. In a logoed glass. <laughs> Not a little cheesy plastic yeah. cup with three ends and you have to hit a card or anything like wow. that. Wow. You get a real Orval chalice or Rochefort chalice or Westmall chalice, whatever the case may be. A, ni- a nice Lindemann's flute if you're interested in that. And so the next day then on Saturday, uh, we had to be in front of the Brewers Hall at 10 o'clock. And my good friend George Fisher from Cavalier Distributing was knighted as well with me. And uh, we came in, had to give your name, you got one ticket. So the president merchantman came. I gave him my one ticket that I was given. Yeah. And we went up to the room and um, and all the grandmasters of the, the Brewers Association comes up and they're in these purple outfits with these funky hats, you know, kind of like, you know, Mr. Cunningham from Happy Days kind of stuff, you know, whatever. Was he, was that Fred Flintstone? Was it Graham, Graham Booba or whatever it was? So. Oh, yeah. So we go and we go through this process, and uh, they have these three guys in the back playing horns. Whenever you get announced, they play a song, and and then they came up, and you know, the grandmaster Frank Boone is the current grandmaster, and those are from breweries that were originally open in the you know basically late 1600s that started this thing, that are still open today with direct descendants. Wow! That are the same families own them, and so uh, went through the process, and they take a brewer's staff and they tip you on both shoulders and you said you are now knighted in the brewers the brewers wow. palate so, so do I, am i supposed to be calling you sir well you know i, I think so okay I, well i apologize because <laughs> i have not been uh so i'll have to just say the word a bunch of times and i'll re-edit you know this it, interview you know it, it will come more natural to you over yeah, time you I, I apologize so, sir <laughs> I, it isn't that funny and you know and S- sister helen thought i wouldn't ever amount to anything and there i am <laughs> you know, knighted so it was it was just a remarkable weekend. It was spectacular. Everything about it was way bigger, cooler, nicer, neater, you know, than I ever dreamed it would be. It was really a lot of fun. So you got put up for this nomination 
because you you know all about this this beer just through through selling it how how did that initial nomination come out well i think for all the things i've been doing for the monasteries okay i think that's where it really came gotcha. from especially west mall because then west mall nominated me and so what happens you get nominated but then another brewer who is part of the the brewers association if mm-hmm. you will from the brewers ballot has to second it okay and then if you get third you know a third brewery says yeah that's that's a that's our kind of guy or that's our kind right, of girl right. whatever the case may be uh, then you start working your way up the list of who gets knighted. Gotcha. Okay. So when Westball nominated me, then Orval, Rochefort, Lindemans, uh, DeProof, all the rest of our breweries said, yeah, that's John is, is our kind of guy. Nice. Absolutely. Nice to have that backing. Oh, yeah. It was, it was, it was great. Uh, the Dubak Brewery especially. They, those guys, Henry and the rest of them, came to actually to the nighting. So oh, that's which was awesome. really nice that they were come. I didn't expect, you know, Father Pierre to come strolling in. You know no, I mean? absolutely. You know, he's got more important things to do <laughs> than see me get, uh, you know, a gold medal around my neck. Uh, but it was, you know, after 25 years of being in the business, it's something I can hang my hat on, definitely. Absolutely. You know, that not many people get to have that kind of honor. And uh, when I, I read about it and then Luke happened to mention that he knew you and I was, I was like, Wow, it would be really cool to to get to the opportunity to to learn from you and kind of hear that 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 sort of experience and that's sort of how this this whole thing happened. I, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to to be here and and talk a little bit about this and how how can people uh, help support Merchant Devin uh, and and help support you? That's a great question. That's probably the best question I've asked on an interview ever. The best way to support us is when you see our brands on the shelves. You'll see the Merchant of In logo, but you can go to our website, Final Brand Samuel Smith from England, or like I said, Einger, the Trappist Pierce from Belgium. Please buy them. You see them on the shelf, buy them. If you're buying a, a 12-pack of, you know, Fatheads or, or Great Lakes Burn Company or something, even a domestic, why don't you try to give some of the beers that invented beer itself and because of those breweries that I represent today or what we have today in the beer world, why don't you give them a try and see where the beers actually taste-wise came from? Because they don't change their recipes for anybody. Right. You know, that's just not how they do it. And uh, just like here in American breweries are all friends, you know, we're friends with their other com- competitors and stuff like that in, in Europe. And, yeah, so the best thing you can do is to support the brands is to buy the beer. And if you just buy even a little bit, if everybody bought a little bit, it will make a huge difference, especially for the monasteries, as far as their charitable donations that they make. Um, like we have Orval Day in, in the spring. It's usually the third Saturday in March. And we donate, as a company, $6 from every case of beer of Orval we sell that day. So we ask, we had almost 800 accounts across the country wow. celebrate Orval Day with us. That money goes directly to charity. That's you amazing. Know, you know, and uh, we are in, uh, water is our charity. We're, we're trying to get fresh, drinkable water around the world where it can't be. And being here from Cleveland, we're looking out at the Cuyahoga River right now. And remember, you know, I was really young when it was catching on fire. Uh, to see how many people are using the river now today with paddle boards and this and that, yeah. and how much fun it is. You know, we have the luxury of having all this fresh water here, and people around the world don't. And so this is, you know, this is the things you can do to help us, and that's one big one that you could do to help. Absolutely. I've, uh, I recently started getting into beer sales myself at the uh, ground level, at the, you know, selling at, at like a grocery store, and that has sort of sparked my exploration of different different styles and i found you know orval and and west mall and all these places i've seen i've found them and i've i'm like what is this and i've learned 
they're some of my favorite beers. That's fantastic. I like I've I've tried some of these. I have. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think it's Orval. I believe I have a, a, a chalice of at yeah. home. Okay. Um, I got for I. It was a Christmas present. <laughs> um, because I Somebody just, loves you, Bill. I love, uh, I really love those, that style. There's a lot of flavor to it. And then there's a book I just got that I've been making my way through. I'm not, I wanted to see if you knew about it. It's called Trappist Travels. No. And the, this group of women got together. They're like beer writers and, and brewers and stuff like that. They got together and they went on a Trappist tour of Europe and, uh, all, I think they hit all of them. Well, I'm going to have to get that book and read it. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll send you the link. And it's a really cool read, and it's just it gives you a little bit of nice background on all I the different the places. I think the best book I've read about Trappist monasteries and breweries and stuff is a, a fellow named Jeff Andenstein. Okay. Yeah, and Jeff is a brewer himself, and um, he wrote a book, The Seven Magnificent Breweries. And got, there's 13 Trappist monasteries now, but at the time there were seven Yeah. when he wrote the book. And he got to actually live at the seven different monasteries. Wow. With them for about a month each. And while he did that, he actually got to know the monks and got the history and got the flavor. of the, And that is the best, I think, uh, book. I will have to check that one out. Yeah, The Seven Magnificent Breweries, Jeff Vanenstein. That will get added to my Christmas list this year. You Thank go, you buddy. very much. I'm here for you. Well, John, let me get, let you get going. I know you're a very busy man. I, I appreciate you taking the time to be here and, and talk with me a little bit about Belgian beer and and your experience with it and um anything else you want to get out before we head out no just you know everybody buy some really good expensive beer around the holidays (laughs) absolutely all right john thank you so much for your time enjoy the rest of your day cheers